After a long career as a professional skier and base jumper, Karina Holikin was living her dream. In 2006, at the Paragliding World Cup in Switzerland, she and a group of her friends were invited to do an exhibition jump. It was just going to be a routine flight in wingsuits, sailing away from an airplane to entertain a crowd of thousands below. Flying high overhead, Karina couldn't have been more happy. I was there with friends, I was having fun, and everything was just perfect. I remember flying, you know, and S turns over and it, under each other, and I could see the smile on the face of my friend, and I, everything was great. When I was supposed to open the parachute and just land on the grassy field in front of the spectators, I could hear, you know, the clapping and the roaring from, from the thousands of spectators underneath. And then a split second later, I realized that something had gone wrong. Well, 15 seconds later, my life was changed forever. When Karina pulled the ripcord, her parachute deployed, but there is a malfunction. I had something that we call a line-over. When you have this, it's impossible to control the canopy, and it starts spinning. And I spun uncontrollably towards the ground in more than 100 kilometers per hour. As you can imagine, she hit the ground with devastating effect. Her body sprawled across a massive boulder. And normally, I guess, uh, big rocks aren't something that you want to hit. But I think, actually, this particular rock saved my life. Because by hitting this rock, it crushed everything that I had from my hips and down. I had uh, four fractures in my left leg, left femur. I had broken knees. I had 21 open fractures in my right thigh. But it saved my back, and it saved my head, and therefore I was still alive. Despite these massive injuries, Karina Holikim survived, and in the years that followed, she forged an incredible journey to not only recover physically, but reclaim much of the life she loved and to go on and inspire others. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. So tell me about your recovery. What was the first thing that you experienced when you started your rehabilitation? Well, first of all, it took, it took a really long time for me to even get out of hospital because I had severe infections, multiple infections raging in my legs because of the open wounds. And they couldn't get rid of this infection. And we did you know, surgery after surgery after surgery to try and save my leg. And finally we came to the point after 14, 15 surgeries that... You know, they're not going to be able to get rid of it. And now we had to amputate my leg. And I was never told this, but my dad said, you know, you can't amputate my daughter's leg. You're going to kill her if you do that. So they made one last try to see if they could figure out the cause of the infection. And I remember waking up after this surgery, and I, I was met by a smiling doctor. And, you know, I'd been more than three months in the hospital at this point. I'd never seen a smiling doctor inside my room, you know. And he told me that they had found the cause of the infection. They had found a piece of grass and some gravel inside my leg, hiding in between the steel. And that was the reason for the ongoing infection. And now that they'd removed the grass, the infection was gone as well. So I could finally move out of the hospital and continue with my, my process of, of getting better. And so I, um, I moved to the rehab center. And... Moving to the rehab center, I think, was the hardest part for me because 
It was the first time that I actually saw other injured people uh, because I'd been isolated in the hospital, you know, with my healthy friends and, and the doctors the whole time. And for the first time, it really struck me. And uh, I was surrounded by people in other people in wheelchair with amputated legs and arms, and they were very badly injured. And I thought that, whoa, I, I don't fit in here. I got to get out of here because I, I could... I just wanted to get well. I could. I didn't feel like I, I fit in. And then I realized that I was no different from all the other people that was sitting there in wheelchairs. And I was. I was one of them. And they were there too, just to learn how to cope with their new situation. And when I realized this, I mean, at that time I'd lost 20 kilos. I weighed 47 kilos, which was nothing for my body, and I had no. Power. I had no energy. I had nothing, and um, I just cried <laughs> and cried for a week because, for me, I was I was in a wheelchair on indefinite time, and I didn't even know whether there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel, and I didn't know what to do. I mean, what do you do then? And so that was that was one of the hardest times for me. You know, just trying to regain my power and you know actually find the motivation to continue to fight. And I remember actually calling my dad and asking him, you know, what's the point? What's the point of training, you know? And he said, I remember his exact words, he said, you, you have to train so that you can take another operation. There's nothing much to look forward to, but that's your job at the moment. And I, th I hung up the phone and I cried even more and I thought that my dad was a terrible motivator. But he was right, you know, my dad was a very tough trainer and a tough tough dad, but giving, but very loving too, you know. But he was right, you know. I had to do my job right now. My job was to motivate myself and to continue to train and rebuild my body. And I lived at this rehab center for um, about 16 months. And I went back and forth to the, forth to the hospital to do more surgeries. And it took me about three years. And now I've done 20 surgeries. I've spent countless of months in rehab centers. And, uh, you know, just a little bit more than half a year ago, I, you know, could get rid of my crutches and uh, for the last time, and I could start walking. And now I'm walking, I'm traveling the world, I'm, you know, making my speeches and my conferences, and I'm living a great life, you know. And it's... For me, it's it's almost unbelievable because it, it wasn't supposed to happen and nobody really believed that it was supposed to happen. But I guess it kind of proves that don't listen to the people who tell you what you can't do because it's nobody knows what we are capable of doing other than you. You've got some personal experience dealing with traumatic injury. Your mother was in a, a catastrophic car accident when you were yeah. very, very young. How did that set of circumstances impact your own recovery and, and getting through what you have to be where you are now? We had an accident when I was four years old, and my mom ended up in a coma for four months, and she sustained a severe brain injury, and uh, she was paralyzed in her old right side, and she was also told that she was never going to walk again, and she lost all her memory, so... She had to start all over again. She had to learn how to get dressed. She had to, had to learn, you know, to talk, everything. 
And you know, I was watching her from from when I was a little kid, and you know, I saw how she fought and how she made it back. And you know, today she obviously she lives in a home and she's being taken care of, but she's walking and she's functioning, which is just amazing. So for me, I mean. When I had my accident, it was almost ironic, you know, because I was told exactly the same like she was. My accident was obviously not as bad as hers. Uh, but I remember thinking that, you know, when she could do this and she'd gone through stuff that was even worse than, than me, then I can't be any worse. And I knew from her experience that, you know, you can't listen to people who tells you what to do or what not to do because they don't know and they sure don't know me and you know I'm going to show them I'm going to prove it so for me she's kind of been my idol or my you know somebody to look up to and somebody to follow and uh, I think uh, it's I don't know if I can say that it's prepared me but it's at least you know made me ready to cope with such a situation you mentioned that well, you're done with base jumping. Yes. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you interested in, in taking up base jumping again? I mean, oh. I, it sounds like a dumb question, but I, I'm, I'm curious to know. I mean, because it sounds like, like it's something you really enjoyed and really loved, but... Oh, you know. don't, don't get me wrong. I'm interested. I am definitely interested. If, if I could, I would have base jumped again for sure. But the thing is, like, first of all now, I lost 12 centimeters of my femur. And uh, I can't take another impact. So even if I just jump off of, a, I don't know, one meter, a three-foot wall down to the pavement, I might break because my, my leg's just not strong enough. And, you know, knowing that and then standing on top of a thousand-meter cliff, I don't think that's a good combination. And, you know, like, I've changed a lot. And when you've gone through an accident like this, and you've spent three years out of your life fighting to get back to the everyday, you know, maybe maybe it's enough. Maybe it's time to say stop. And you know, I know that I'm scared in a totally different way today than I was before, you know. I was scared before as well, and I loved the feeling of being scared. But my fear today is just irrational because I can see flashes of my legs from the day of the accident and that's just not a good image and um, you know like there, I'm sure there was a time for me to stop anyway and you know I got a second chance and I'm lucky today to, just to be here and you know I think that I can find so many other things that I will enjoy and you know hopefully I will uh, I'll be able to find a way that I can still fly because flying is for me a uh, you know, it's it's still my dream, and but maybe I can do it in a little bit of a different way, where I won't be needing my legs as much as I do when I'm landing a, a base parachute. But I mean, I do have to admit, when I'm I'm with my friends, with my base jumping friends up in the mountains, and I see them flying, you know, with their wingsuits next to the wall, you know, I would probably do anything just to join them. And you know, but sometimes it's not just about the actual base jump in itself; it's more about the whole community and the sharing and you know being being part of it because now I'm I'm a girl who loves to I love to play and now I'm just not that playing girl anymore because I can't take part you know I think that's what you miss the most just being a part of it and sitting there on top of the of the mountain you know having that little jiggerish feeling just before you're 
about to jump off, it's an incredible feeling. And that's what you want to experience you know, again and again. So what's next for you? What, what, what do you do from here after the speaking tour? After that? What's next? Oh, I'm training these days. Big time. Every day. Lots of it. For me right now, I think my biggest goal is to come back to skiing. You know, I've been skiing since I was a little girl, and all my friends, they ski, and, you know, that's my life. And I think for a girl who's been told that she was never going to be able to walk again, if I can ski, that's pretty good. So, you know, my dream now is to come back to skiing this winter, and obviously I don't know how it's going to be or how it's going to look or anything, but I do think it's going to be doable one way or another, and uh, I'm just going to see how far I can take it. This interview with Karina Holikim was originally recorded in 2009. A few weeks ago, we reconnected during the Banff Mountain Film Festival, where she let me know that she's looking forward to another great ski season. Karina's planning a new project with other women on the North Face Athletes team, where she continues to be a valuable member and an inspirational public speaker. You can learn more about her amazing story online at thenorthface.com. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week by new contributing artist, singer-songwriter Cheryl Englehart. The Joy Chip Project is brought to you thanks to the generous support of our sponsor, Patagonia. Check out their latest new media projects and conservation initiatives on their blog, thecleanestline.com. Thanks for listening, but we hope you'll write. Send a message with your questions, comments, or criticisms by email to info at joychipproject.com or find us on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care. Four times a day